It is Wednesday, August 1st, 2018, and it is 3000 NFL Mock Draft, a Seattle Seahawks podcast with myself, Kenneth Arthur of fieldgoals.com and Rob Staten of seahawksdraftblog.com. And it is August 1st. It is dogest 1st. It is the humidity and uh, heat and uh, football ramping up training camp. One week in the books, pretty much, for the Seattle Seahawks in training camp starting last Thursday and now they have an off day this Wednesday. And another thing is I've realized since we've started, you know, editing these a little bit, uh, and we haven't cut anything out. We don't cut anything out. But in terms of adding music and, uh, you know, some of the post-production stuff to increase the sound quality a little bit, I'm saying it's Wednesday. But most people are listening to this on Thursday, Thursday morning. Uh, just, a, just a minor note that I decided to start to, to, to add in there once. Uh, if you're confused about what day you're listening to this and if it's, if it's really live, well, it was never live. This is me rambling and contributing nothing at all to the podcast. But you know what? Uh, I do it every week, uh, the podcast that is. Not contribute nothing. I hope I contribute something. Uh, but uh, you'll have to excuse me for you know some of my rambles and mumbles and mambles. Um, but you know what? You'll excuse me because we got so much content. We've had a long offseason. Talked about the draft. We've speculated. We've talked about players not on the Seahawks. We've talked about Earl Thomas's holdout. Forget it. We're talking about the Seattle Seahawks playing practice, not playing games, playing practice. They're out there practicing. They're playing and they're playing their practices. They're putting on pads sometimes. The point is 90 men or so, you know, give or take five or 10 with all the players that get cut and signed uh, are, are playing for the Seattle Seahawks in a capacity that is known as practice and training camp as they try and figure out who they're going to keep for the 53-man roster. Now we've got information. We know things about Marcus Johnson and Amara Darbo and uh, Chris Carson and Mo Alexander and Shaquille Griffin and Shaquem Griffin and so on and so forth. We've got info, baby, and that's what today's podcast is all about. Me and Rob are going to talk about the position battles, the injuries, who's stepping up, who's stepping down, um, and there's really not even any reason to talk about Earl Thomas, so forget about it. We can talk about the players that are here now. We've got a bunch to discuss as the Seahawks and Pete Carroll switch things up and give people different opportunities in the rotation. So with that being said, you know, perhaps the most interesting battle to take a look at is the wide receivers. And Doug Baldwin, you know, has not been out there very much, had an issue with his knee. And it sounds like he could be out for the rest of the training camp uh, preseason leading up to week one. And hopefully it's over by then. I think Doug Baldwin is veteran enough to handle not being at training camp preseason. Uh, but, you know, hopefully it doesn't linger into the season, whatever his issues are and with his knee uh, and his leg and all that kind of stuff that he'll be able to go for week one. But what it does do is give more opportunities uh, for the guys that are competing. They had 14, I think, wide receivers in camp, and we only knew really a couple of them that we expected to make the final roster. But even that has become more uh, shaky and, and hard to understand or at least parse together. What we do know is, you know, that Tyler Lockett is still, you know, likely going to be out there as a starter. But Mark Marcus Johnson is one guy who has been talked about a lot uh, over the last week, has contributed and, and made some nice plays out there as a wide receiver. Um, and other guys that we haven't seen as much of, like Brandon Marshall, because of you know him recovering from offseason injuries. Um, and I think David Moore has missed a little bit of time. Uh, so, Rob, looking at it now, we have a week of training camp. We've got these guys, these receivers out there vying for the affection of one Russell Wilson. 
or maybe one Alex McGuff or maybe one Austin Davis. Yeah, they're fine for different quarterbacks affections. Um, but through one week of training camp and these 14 wide receivers, um, what are your thoughts in terms of the a couple of guys who have stood up and look like, hey, you know, if these guys have a good preseason, it's going to be hard to get rid of them. And who are a couple of guys that maybe on the other end of the spectrum you thought maybe they had a better chance of making the final roster and maybe now uh, they're losing those opportunities to play with the ones to get more reps in uh, the preseason games. Who's up, who's down as far as the wide receivers go? Well, I think the most important thing to remember here is if people think a year ago and and, and the decisions they made on, on the receiver position, it's not always going to be the guys who necessarily stand out the most in camp or the players that make the most plays in preseason. The, the Seahawks know what they want from the receiver position. And it could be easily that the guy who's the fifth receiver on the roster, for example, is a good blocker who is good on special teams. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. So when I when I read things in camp about this certain receiver has looked really good, or he made a, a leaping catch here, and he made a downfield play here, and no doubt when the preseason games start, there are going to be certain receivers who perform better than others. It actually might be the little things that aren't so obvious that determine uh, which which player essentially gets ahead. For example, there's been a lot of positive talk about Keenan Reynolds since uh, training camp began. I think Russell Wilson's talked about him. I've been reading Hawk Blogger has, has uh, written a few pieces about how good that he's looked at training camp. Very easy to say that he's somebody on the up, Kenny. But when you actually think about Keenan Reynolds, okay, do the Seahawks need a return man? Uh no, they don't. So, you know, because that kind of role is going to be limited, you would think, to Tyler Lockett and to Rashard Penny. You know, they, they brought Penny in. That might be something that he does if they want to take some of the, the strain away from Tyler Lockett. Um, so then is Keenan Reynolds going to be a, a great special teams player? Remains to be seen. And how many targets is he actually going to get during the season? And what kind of role do you have for him? I mean, that's the kind of thing you have to think about there. Um, compared to maybe someone such as a Brandon Marshall, who could be a red zone threat, someone who has shown that he's willing to block, has got that level of experience. This is a much younger team. Um, you know, do you, do you stick with someone like that, even if he doesn't, for example, flash as much in preseason? Or do you look at someone like Tanner McAvoy, who again has, has not exactly torn the NFL apart since he came in as a receiver, but has, has clearly shown that he has some special teams value there. So I think these are the things that we have to consider. Um, they're going to look at role players. You know, it could be down to to, to Marshall or uh, Stringfellow to be the sort of the big target if they want to retain one of those. I think it's pretty safe to say that you know Baldwin, Lockett, and and perhaps even Jerome Brown are fairly solid as as a as a as a, a trio there that are going to make the roster. And it's up to everybody else to compete. David Moore, you would think, has has had a decent start to the camp. Uh, reading reports, you would think that he's got a decent chance to make it as well. So, although it looks like a pretty deep and open competition. It, it may not be quite so. And if we're talking about players who are maybe down, I think it's just the, the opportunities, really. So, I, I don't know. I mean, is it, someone like a Grace and a Scott, you know, a, a Brace who's come in, are they going to have a real opportunity to get on this roster? I'd be a little bit surprised. They're going to have to go above and beyond in order to make it. And I think the Baldwin injury, just a, a quick final point on that, Kenny, I think the good thing about the Baldwin injury is that I, I don't need to see Doug Baldwin playing in preseason or at training camp. I'm sure you don't. I'm sure all Seahawks fans don't need to see anything from Doug Baldwin. We know he's got chemistry with Russell Wilson. We don't need to see him testing that knee in preseason at all. I would quite happily see most of the starters just standing on the sideline during training camp and especially the preseason games. I don't think we want to see another George Fant style injury in preseason. I hate the fact that there's four preseason games. I wish they would reduce that. 
I wish they would just make practice more of a feature during this month, just have a couple of games. I don't see why there's four, and I don't see why teams play a lot of their starters for a long period, for fairly long periods of time in those four games. I think it's a better chance to sort of test out the deeper parts of your roster there. So I, I'd quite happily see a few more stood next to Doug Baldwin there, um, nursing a little knocker and injury, getting ready for week one, because that's the most important thing. But while he's out, it is going to mean more reps, more opportunities for these players in the games, in training camp. And I'm very much looking forward to that pre-season game to see who has the best chemistry initially with Russell Wilson and then with the other quarterbacks on this roster, Davis and Magoo. Well, one of the other, you know, one of the other uh, skill positions, perhaps, you know, some would say the only other skill position, if you're including tight ends with wide receivers, uh, is running back. And of course, you know, some, I don't know if I want to call it controversy, but just the way that people talk about, well, if Chris Carson starts over Rashad Penny, uh, it means something. And it really means that the Seahawks wasted their first round pick again and they don't know what they're doing. And it's uh, it's crazy and yada, yada, yada. I mean, I'm pretty sure I, I would say, you know, if I had to take a guess, if someone asked me what I thought, if, if they had posed to me a query, a question of, do you think Pete Carroll is aware of who Chris Carson is? I would have, you know, and, and did you think he was aware of who Chris Carson was in, you know, April? I guess, you know, I'm not a detective, but, you know, I probably, without even doing any detective work, uh, would have said that, yes, Pete Carroll probably is aware of Chris Carson uh, as of April before they drafted Rashad Penny. I know that I was, so I would certainly hope. I would certainly hope that Pete Carroll did, and I know that my opinion of Chris Carson was that he was a starter level running back, and they still drafted Rashad Penny. So I'm pretty sure they drafted Penny, believing that Chris Carson would come back healthy and looking like a starting running back, and you know that there was a plan in place from the beginning. And even at the time that they drafted Rashad Penny, when I, you know, and you know, Rob, how I feel about first round running backs, but even I could come up with a verifiable justification of drafting a running back in late first round because of the way that it gives you so much. It does give you those options to say like, hey, if we're going to have a running back, because hey, every team does. If we're going to have a running back, we might as well get one that we think is going to be one of the top five or ten in the league uh, and use him for the entirety of a five-year contract because you do have that fifth-year option. Uh, and then, you know, and he'll be cheap. I don't ever agree, obviously, with Saquon Barkley, and we don't need to get into that because there's a different price point for Saquon Barkley. But I do think, okay, fine, whatever. At the end of the first round, that's what they've done with Chad Penny, and it has to come in place with a plan, I think, of living in a 2018. And I hope that other people commenting on Twitter and the message boards and whatever understand that we are living in the era of running back in 2018 or maybe you want to two of those guys or three of those guys. It's acting like they are different positions in the same position, just like wide receiver would be. Um, but some people think, hey, if, the, if Rashad Penny isn't the quote-unquote starting running back, which really doesn't even need to exist, but if he wasn't the quote-unquote starting running back, it would be a bad thing. Chris Carson looks great. Chris Carson looks like a starting running back. Chris Carson looks like a guy who could be out there with Russell Wilson on the first snap of the game, and I believe that's okay. Uh, but as far as Rob is concerned, uh, I'm asking you now. Uh, Rob, how do you feel about the running back competition? Do you feel much more positive about the running back situation now 
than you would have, I guess, a year ago, of course. And a year ago, they were looking at Carson, Eddie Lacy, Thomas Rawls, CJ Prosize, and we, we've got those backups as well. We don't have any significant injuries that I'm aware of at the running back position. So, you know, just uh, enlighten us as well. Uh, Rob, from your perspective, the running back competition, the situation, um, how do you see it? What do you like? Is there anything you're concerned about? Well, I think the conversation surrounding the running backs um, this week has, has, has reminded me of one of the, the frustrating things about training camp, that people start having opinions and making judgments based on the first week of camp. Now, if people were doing that in 2012, then Matt, I think I'm right in saying that Tavares Jackson got the first snaps at quarterback, Matt Flynn got the second bunch of snaps, Russell Wilson was the, the number three on the depth chart initially to start training camp in, in 2012. And we know how that ended up. So the fact that Chris Carson started the, um, the, the, the session of training camps as the number one, given that he was the best running back on the roster last year, not a surprise. Is it a surprise that CJ Procise, who's been with the team, this is his third year now, and looked a very accomplished running back in his, his rookie season. We barely saw him last season, of course. He's, he's perhaps a little further along than Rashad Penny, and therefore he's getting the second bunch of snaps. No. Is that a surprise? Not at all. Is it a surprise that Rashad Penny is being challenged as a first-round rookie to come in and earn a job as opposed to being given it, given that competition is the big thing in Pete Carroll's programme and there's been a um, a return to that sort of mentality, you feel, at this training camp? Is that, So is it a surprise that he's been made to earn, earn his snaps? Not at all. I don't think there's any... I don't see anything. I, if you'd have said to me, um, going into training camp, how do you think the snap... Uh, count and and the and, the, and the, the order of the running backs would go in this first week of training camp it's gone exactly according to plan and I don't think it's any assessment of the decision to draft, draft Richard Penny that that Carson you know I've, I've seen a few people saying why why did they waste the pick on Penny because look at Carson he's the number one running back and they didn't need a running back well let me just remind people of Chris Carson's career to date he had two seasons at Oklahoma State played 12 games in 2015 and had only 131 carries. And then in his final year at Oklahoma State, he played nine games, had 82 carries in his final college season. 82 carries in his final college season. Do you know how many carries Rashad Penny had in his final college season? 289, over 200 more carries than Carson did in his final college season. And then in Carson's first year in the NFL, he played four games and had 49 carries before getting injured. This is a player that he might physically look great. He might have looked superb in those four games that he played for Seattle last season and in preseason. He may well be the future of the Seahawks running game. There's, there's a potential for that to happen. But he has also been injured a lot and we've seen how injuries impacted Thomas Rawls and how quickly he went from looking fantastic to looking very, very average. And in my opinion, it would have been a huge mistake for the Seahawks to go into this training camp relying on the health of Carson and in particular CJ Procise to, to get their running game going. Because the chances are that Procise will get injured again. That's you know, if you don't think that's going to happen, then you haven't been paying attention for the last two years. And if you actually look at Chris Carson's career either at Oklahoma State or Seattle, there's a decent chance that he's going to miss some time, which means that it's Mike Davis again, which is fine. I like Mike Davis. I like Mike Davis, but that's where the Seahawks were at the end of last season and they didn't have a, a proper running game. And then you, what, what you're going to do, get another veteran in like Eddie Lacy. They've been there and they've done that. You know, they have committed this offseason to fixing this running game. And they saw someone in Rashad Penny who matched their the, the physical measurements that they like, 
He was a playmaker. He, he made people miss. He scored lots of touchdowns. He's a return threat. They liked his attitude. They thought that he would really add something to this running game. And now they are well-stocked. They've got Penny. They've got If Penny doesn't play because Carson and Procise are doing superb and putting up loads of snaps and the running game is flying, then it doesn't mean even mean then that the Penny pick was a mistake because it just doesn't. It's just that they liked him enough to take him in the first round and they thought that he was going to help their running game. If, if his addition perhaps even motivates Carson and Procise to get it going this year, then great. And in one way or another, the, the running game is getting fixed. That's all that matters. That was the priority. That was the focus. You can't you can't look at it and say, oh, well, if they'd have gone for a different position or they'd have gone this. The priority was to fix the run. And if they fix the run, mission accomplished. Whether that means Penny's the number one or the number three, it means they've got done what they wanted to get done. So I wish people would stop overanalyzing the order in which the first week of training camp's gone. Let's see in, in three or four weeks how healthy these guys are for a start. Let's look a month into the season and see if Chris Carson is capable of doing 20 carries a game. Let's see if CJ Procise has managed to last a quarter. And let's see what Rashad Penny's role is. Personally, I just think, great, they've got more options than they did a year ago. I'd love to see them keep four. I'd like to see them keep Procise, Davis, uh, Penny and Carson. Because then you're actually looking really deep at that position, which is something that has been an issue for the Seahawks. Injuries at running back has been an issue ever since Marshawn Lynch got injured in 2015. So go with it. And, I, and listen, I feel very, very comfortable about this. And I th- I've got a good feeling that the Seahawks are going to see a much improved running game, which will make life for Russell Wilson much, much easier. Yeah, you bring up uh, an important point uh, that you know can't be emphasized enough when people do talk about mistakes that they think the Seahawks have made and so on and so forth. The NFL has not had a preseason game in 2018. They have not had one. They haven't had one single game. Forget about regular season. There hasn't been one preseason game yet. Let's see what happens over the next five weeks. By the way, uh, new Patreon, no new patron, Brent Olson. Just got it in the email. That's why I'm saying it now. Uh, And it's a good time to say thank you to Brent Olson, new patron. Uh, You can donate at patreon.com slash field goals to support the podcast if you'd like. Uh, Moving on to... Another position that is uh, constantly in discussion, constantly uh, debated about, um, and even before it has gotten started, has already been called the worst unit in the NFL. Um, perhaps, you know, again, for whatever reason, uh, the, the offensive line where they should have an upgrade with Dwayne Brown that they haven't had since Russell Okung uh, was on the left tackle, uh, Justin Britt at center. And then certainly there's been movement at right guard with uh, DJ Fluker, Jermaine Afidi. And then today on Wednesday, the team signed J.R. Sweezy. Um, so there will be more competition for sure at right guard uh, and right tackle. We'll see what happens there. And then left guard, Ethan Posich. Uh, so they've got things moving there. And, you know, they've been slowly bringing along George Fant, who I believe they're still looking at as a left tackle. Um, you know, obviously, with Dwayne Brown signing an extension this week, and we haven't talked about that, uh, obviously, uh, but Dwayne Brown signing a three-year extension this week, the team does not expect George Fant to win that job in the near future, um, and, but they do want to see maybe where he does fit in, even if it is in a backup role. And we've got Jamarco Jones and Isaiah Battle working at right tackle uh, recently. So, Rob, any thoughts that you have? You know, this is Mike Solari's first year back with the Seahawks. 
taking over Tom Cable for Tom Cable after all those years of people complaining about Tom Cable and wanting him fired and wanting him replaced. And now Mike Solari is here. Um, but through, you know, it's difficult to assess the offensive line uh, when they aren't wearing pads. And that first week, there's a lot of it's hard to assess anything going on. Um, but we do know, hey, well, OK, maybe the coaches are favoring this guy. Maybe they're not so much favoring this other guy. There are things to consider as they figure it out. Um, and the signing of J.R. Sweezy, does this mean anything to you? Uh, does it is it just a nice way for them to bring in a veteran that will be able to give them some competition because they like competition? Um, or, you know, are you more or less concerned about the offensive line than, than you were um, over the offseason? I think, though, I mean, obviously, I've got no basis for this. This is just a hunch that I've got on this. But I suspect that maybe there's a bit of concern about DJ Fluke. And maybe, I mean, this is a guy who has had a lot of injuries in his career, a lot of health issues so far. Um, he was cut by the San Diego Chargers when it was San Diego. And went to New York, had a decent year, by all means. I think he was hurt a little bit during his time in New York as well. And then when he reached free agency, the, he had a nice cold market and the Seahawks were able to sign him on an absolute bargain. So I just wonder whether or not the leagues looked at him and thought, this guy can't necessarily stay healthy. Maybe that's an accurate thing. And, may, you know, he has been banged up in, in OTAs. He has been a little bit sore. I think in, in training camp so far, hasn't hasn't competed fully. And maybe they just think, are we going to be able to rely on this guy for 16 games? You know, is he going to be able to get through a 16-game season? And if you rely on Fluker to do that, then you're looking at Jordan Roos as your starting right guard next year. And, and as much as they seemingly like Roos, maybe they just think that's not the direction they want to go. They don't want a position essentially left to a, a second-year player, a very limited time in the NFL so far, very limited experience. And possibly with J.R. Sweezy coming in, this gives them an opportunity to look at him, see if he's a better option than, than Fluke or somebody who might be more likely to stay healthy. I mean, Sweezy's had his own injury issues in Tampa Bay. Um, and, and it might just be that if they've given themselves an alternative option there, that it could essentially be either Fluke or Sweezy that go in as the experienced right guard this season and they'll make a decision when it's, when it's time to make a decision on these two. I, I suspect that's the way that they're viewing it. On the whole, I'm quite glad that they're at least considering every option on the offensive line. It's, it's an area that we're all desperate to see the Seahawks take a step forward in. I do think they've got a lot of decent options there. I think there are reasons to be optimistic a little bit about it. I mean, you look at Dwayne Brown, a full off-season for him there, Justin Britt as an accomplished centre. You hope that Ethan Posick's going to take a step forward as left guard this year. There's no reason to, to, to not think that's possible. We still have to see it happen, but got to be optimistic there they spent a second round pick on him um you hope that Jermaine Effetti with a new a new coach can take a step forward and we've talked about the right guard position as well and then you've got a bit of depth there George Fant as the left tackle um they seem to be having a decent look at Isaiah Battle as possibly a reserve right tackle um Jamarco Jones is still in there you've got Odambo as a backup guard and like Roos um so I I like the fact that there's a decent load of competition there but also there's an idea of, of the kind of starting five that they want to roll with. I think this is moving in the right direction. I enjoyed Solari's press conference the other day. Um, just seemed to be talking at 100 miles an hour. Was was throwing out words um, that just didn't make any sense. But I kind of liked it. He's, he, he's a definitely kind of an old school guy. Um, I'm, I think it's fascinating. It's, it's really interesting to see how Schottenheimer and Solari are going to change this offense. See if they can have a positive impact there. 
I hope that it's it moves things in the right direction. I sense that it it probably will in the running game. We also have to then see how that knits together with Russell Wilson. We've only ever seen Russell Wilson with one offensive coordinator, and that's Daryl Bevel with the help of Tom Cable. Let's see how the new pairing will work to supply Wilson with options. Um, we have to see that. But I think as much as people want to be down on that offensive line, I'm quietly optimistic they might just sort it out this year and become an average unit. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's another thing to just sit and watch for and... The nice thing about this year was that they went into the, everything with like a, a starting five that gave them a, an opportunity to look at what a veteran or an expected starting five could look like for them, a unit that they hoped could stay together. But uh, if other people step up, then we'll just see or step down. We'll just see what happens there. Uh, now, the offensive line, I like to think of them as a group of players that stop the defensive line. Uh, sure, they might stop other players from time to time at other positions, but for me, my kind of football, uh, they're in the trenches, okay? And the trenches in the NFL and in college football sometimes in high school, it involves guys on the offensive line and the defensive line. That's Kenneth Arthur's opinion of the day. So on the defensive line for the Seattle Seahawks, that means that these guys, they got to block another group of guys. And that group is including a lot of guys that don't, really have the cachet to be believed to start in the NFL as pass rushers. And that's Kenneth Arthur's truth of the day. Deion Jordan injured. Not sure when he's going to come back. Uh, a concern for sure that Deion Jordan could miss the start of the year, dealing not just with a knee injury that required surgery in the offseason, but you know other injuries that have popped up since then. Frank Clark not practicing. Uh, and the Seahawks needing to go with some other options at defensive end, uh, like Marcus Smith, who I think was missing some practice recently as well. Uh, Barkevius Mingo, who they really want at linebacker. Jake Martin, who, you know, wrote the rookie sixth round pick. Um, also a guy that was thought to be maybe a linebacker, and sure, they can mix that around, and maybe linebacker, defensive end doesn't carry that much of a difference one to the other um but rob we've already been talking about how pass rush is probably their biggest weakness this season and you know it just seems to be getting weaker and weaker uh as every training camp day goes which even that makes you even more concerned perhaps as i was you know going back to the whole trenches talk that this offensive line could they be having difficulties even with the backup backups of a pass rush unit that wasn't supposed to be that good. Um, it should give more opportunities for some of the younger guys, but do we even want that? You know, do we want Rasheem Green uh, out there much in terms of his first year, one of the youngest players in the NFL? Um, you know, and a lot of people have talked about how he looks a lot like Michael Bennett, but he sure is not as old as Michael Bennett and doesn't have uh, that many years of experience in the pros under his belt. And I think, you know, had some issues at USC that, you know, still need to be corrected and you want to spend this year maybe working on correcting those. Uh, so Rob, it does seem like perhaps this could be the most dire situation for the Seahawks. Can you find any uh, grain of hope, uh, a beacon of light within the Seahawks pass rush, a defensive end, a linebacker outside, which doesn't really affect them as much in terms of pass rush. Can you find anything uh, a positive in there or is this something that's uh, likely going to bother the Seahawks all year long? I think it's a massive problem. And um, this is the biggest weakness in the team. 
I, I would always back Pete Carroll to put a secondary together and, and make it competitive. That's just what he does and, it, and has consistently proven that. But the pass rush is, is a big, big problem. And it's it's concerning for Dion Jordan because you know, throughout his career he's had injury issues. You just wonder if this is this is his story. You know, whether he's he's got all the talent or the physical potential in the world, but he's just not going to be able to stay healthy. And that's it will be a real shame if that proves to be the case. Um it's a lot to ask of Rasheem Green to come in and contribute a lot this early in his career. And it's the same for all of the other rookies that have come into the team right now. And they just don't have it, to me, they look like they're a pass rusher short. If you had Frank Clark and another, for example, if, if Cliff Averill hadn't had to retire, then you'd probably think, yep, that's okay with Rasheem Green being mixed in there. But they don't have that. And if Jordan's out, then it's asking an awful lot of these guys, especially when you don't have that really great interior pass rusher who can make it make up for a lot of it. And if they got that person, then it might not be such a big issue. But the guys working inside look solid, if not spectacular, um, and the and the edge rushers look limited. I do think it could become a strength in time if if Rasheem Green shows that he's got a lot of potential this year and take a step forward as a rookie, and if Frank Clark can have a big year and, and get a contract extension next year, is going to be the draft of of pass rushers. I mean, there are so many options, Kenny, that are going to be in the first round. You're going to have five first round defensive linemen from Clemson alone next year. You're going to have your Nick Bosa from Ohio State. You're going to have Rashawn Gary from Michigan. You're going to have Ed Oliver from Houston on top of that. I mean, all of those players, the eight that I've just mentioned there, the five at Clemson, the other three, they could be top 15, 20 picks. So if the Seahawks do end up being held back a little bit by the defense and in particular the pass rush this year, and if they end up drafting in the top 20 again, then that for me is, 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 a, is an area they will almost certainly be able to address. And if you get one of these really good pass rushers into your team and you can put them next to Frank Clark, you can put them next to Rasheem Green, and you can maybe go and dabble a bit in free agency to get somebody else, then I think you start in a year's time, you could be feeling very positive about it. But if there is one area of the team that's going to hold you back, you have to rush the pass for these. You've got to have some pressure. You've got to be able to rush the pass. And I think it's asking an awful lot of Frank Clark to do it on his own in the way that Chris Clemens did it in, in 2010, 2011, and a bit of 2012 as well before Bruce Irving came. Um, it, it's just asking an awful lot of him to do that, especially for a player that is as great sometimes, but also a little bit inconsistent as Frank Clark. Inconsistent as Frank Clark. So I think it's going to be, it is, it is the biggest weakness on the team and it's going to be an area that they're almost, I mean, listen, I know what I'm going to be watching in the college season. I'm going to be watching pass rushes. That's going to be my focus this year. I think that's going to be the focus on the Seahawks. That's what they need. And I, and I think they might add one before the start of the season. I don't know who's out there, whether it's from like Willie Young, who's not got a team at the moment, or if they make a deal for somebody, or if it's a cut. I think they've got to bring somebody in. Moving uh, backwards a little bit on the defense, you know, we've also, you know, learned some other things about uh, guys. You know, I don't know that there's a ton to really talk about with the linebackers, save for. Uh, maybe Jake Martin, and uh, we've talked about the pass rush and whether or not he needs to move up or or whatever, whatever. Uh, but, you know, one guy out there making plays and, again, turning heads and all this kind of stuff is Shaquem Griffin. Um, and, you know, obviously a lot of people rooting for him to be a quality player, not just on special teams, but on defense, get out there, maybe play on some defensive fronts with his brother. Uh, any thoughts or taking aways uh, of Shaquem Griffin's first training camp, first week in training camp? 
I mean, I haven't seen the training camp, so I, I can't say whether or not he's he's really stood out or anything. I know that he had that interception, and you know, I kind of, I almost wish that people wouldn't be. I think Shakim has earned the right now to not have every single time he makes a play highlighted as some kind of great achievement. Um, and I certainly hope that it's 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 treated with a bit more normality in the future if he makes a play in training camp. He's a playmaker. I'm not surprised he's making plays. Um, I think the thing with Shakim is. He is what he is. I mean, he's a, he's a nickel linebacker and I don't blame the Seahawks for trying to maybe find out if he can do a little bit more. I think they're using this training camp to see what his limitations are, what he could potentially develop into. But ultimately, I think they'll find that he is a nickel linebacker who can do some rushing, who can get around the field, who can be a, a great special teamer. I don't mean to say that to diminish Shaquem Griffin or to dumb him down. If he ends up being a starting uh, Will, for example, then... I'll be the first one to say that I was wrong. Uh, but I think that he's a nickel linebacker. I think the best way to utilise him this year because the Seahawks lack some pass rush is to have him going after the passer on certain downs to maybe act as a spy on occasions, to have him flying around the field because when you watch him at UCF, the one area that really stood out for me that was an issue for him was, was cover, um, was dropping into zone. And, and that's something that he's going to have to learn. And I don't think he's going to learn that in one training camp, but you can still utilise him in year one I don't feel they'll be creative with that. They're going to have to be creative with Barkevius Mingo to make up for a little bit of the lack of pass rushing up that he can provide something. Maybe he will end up doing a lot more rushing than, than playing Sam. Um, and I think Shaquem's going to have to do the same thing because they've got to generate a pass rush from somewhere. And if it's if it's not necessarily going to come from that front, they're going to have to be creative with their linebackers. And you know, seeing KJ Wright doing a, bit, a few pass rush moves as well during training camp with some of the footage they showed, I wonder if maybe they'll look to do that and maybe get KJ involved more in those rushing situations, maybe continue to blitz Bobby Wagner a little bit more. They were blitzing the slot cornerbacks, Coleman, and uh, and blitzing Griffin as well on one of the plays too towards the end of the season. Maybe some of those corner blitzes are going to come into play again this year to try and generate a pass rush. They've got to be creative with it, and I can imagine them using Griffin in that way to get some get some pressure. And in the secondary, you know, the Seahawks, we, we expect uh, Shaquille Griffin to be a starting cornerback, of course. Uh, Justin Coleman to be out there a lot. Byron Maxwell, uh, they reportedly are interested in Dominique Rogers Cromartie uh, as a cornerback veteran out there. Um, but the more interesting stuff in the secondary, perhaps, you know, being the safety spots where Bradley McDougald uh, is all but assured to be a starting safety. We just don't know if it's going to have to be at free safety or strong safety, depending on the status of Earl Thomas over the next five weeks. And if he comes back before week one and is able to start by week one. In the meantime, they've been mixing guys around in the first couple days. Maurice Alexander, or Mo, as some people call him, Mo Alexander, uh, is uh, was recovering from some stuff, and so they had, you know, one day they might have uh, Delano Hill out there, Tedrick Thompson out there, um, Mike Tyson has moved back to safety, um, but for the most part, these have been the guys. And then Mo Alexander comes back, and it seems like the veterans, the veterans of Bradley McDougald and Mo Alexander, could be the ones that they favor at this time. Uh, if they need to without Earl Thomas, but we'll see. There's another five weeks to go. There's four preseason games to go. We'll find out if Earl Thomas even does come back. Uh, and all expected that he probably will come back. That's what I expect for sure, that Thomas will come back. And it'll just be Thomas and McDougald. Um, but, you know, Rob, when it comes to the safety competition, um, how bad would – if let's say Earl Thomas doesn't come back, how bad would it be for Tedrick Thompson and Delano Hill if Mo Alexander won that job as one of the starting safeties and that they weren't as 
you know, second year guys drafted in the late third and early fourth round that they couldn't get on the field in their second year with that opportunity with Earl Thomas not out there and Cam Chancellor not out there. Would it be a huge indictment on them? Obviously, if that happens, they also have to come up to the to the question of whether or not they would be on the final roster. Um, I think, you know, they, we're going to find out what if they think they have anything with uh, Michael Tyson or uh, 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 King King, I think, is one of the guys out there. So uh, in terms of that and, you know, what would you wrote about the safety position and what has to do with speed. So uh, what are you looking at as far as the speed of the safeties? Because we do know that Earl Thomas is one guy highly associated with his speed. Well, I think the um, it, it would be a, a major problem if if Delano Hill and um, Tedrick Thompson lost the job to Alexander because it would suggest that, like you say, that you know, two years into their career, they've not been able to, even with Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor potentially out of the picture, they've not been able to, as third and fourth round picks, have uh, worked their way into this. And given the, the, the level of coaching that they've had in the, the defensive back room uh, with Chris Richard and with Pete Carroll... Previously, with Richard, of course, now he's in Dallas. I mean, you you would just that that would be an issue, and and the Seahawks have not really ha- suffered these kind of issues before with defensive backs. You know, they've generally done a quite a good job with them. So it'd be disappointing. I think they were banking on these two having an impact. So there still is time for them to have an impact. We're talking about a scenario where they they don't win a job. I still think that when all said and done, it'll be Earl Thomas and Bradley McDougal who are starting at safety. I just don't see a situation where listen, Earl Thomas can hold out for as many weeks as he wants. Um, he's only going to cost himself money and he's going to have to come back at a certain point of the season if he wants to accrue a season. So I don't think that sitting on his backside, watching the Seahawks for weeks on end and coming back towards the back end of the season is necessarily the best thing to do. I think unlike Dwayne Brown, he's playing in a position where the market's a little bit colder at the moment. There's always teams looking for left tackles. I'm not sure that anyone's going to jump in midway through the season and, and, and bring him in. I don't think it's going to necessarily, necessarily help him in the free agency market if he does sit out multiple games. I've seen some people suggest that resting him, if he rests himself, then maybe he'd be in a better position to go and get big money. But I, I don't know. I mean, Is anybody even willing to offer him big money in free agency? That remains to be seen. So I think... I think there'll come a point, as with Cam Chancellor, when he will feel like he has to come back. And whether or not that's for week one or not, I'm not sure. But I think when he does come back, you, you play him and you start him and he probably starts next to Bradley McDougall. So I think that's how that situation's going to play out. As for the speed thing, I've noticed for some reason, and, and I, I don't know if this is just because of the old Thomas factor that people have kind of got it into their minds that Seattle play a single high safety and Earl Thomas is a 4-3-4-4 runner and therefore that's what the Seahawks have to have. Otherwise, the defence is going to be absolutely blooming useless this year. And I, I don't understand why that mentality has come in. The Seahawks drafted 14th overall in 2010 and they allowed the Eagles to move up to number 13 and thought that the Eagles were going to take Earl Thomas. They took Brandon Graham in the end. But the Seahawks were not exactly busting a gut to get Earl Thomas in that draft. They weren't making sure that they got Earl Thomas. They were almost willing to see him go to Philadelphia. And if if Philadelphia had taken Earl Thomas in that situation, they needed a safety that year. And I think they took Nate Allen in round two. Um, if they had taken him, there would have never been an Earl Thomas in Seattle. And in that situation, I'm not sure the Seahawks would have been playing single high safety with the safeties that they had on the team. I think they would have had to have, have used a very different way of doing things. And, and that's what's going to have to happen now. And if you actually look at the starting safeties in the league, how many of them are really blazing fast runners? There just aren't that many. There are no Earl Thomases in the NFL, and there aren't many guys who've run in the four fours at safety, let alone 
run as quickly as Earl. And the example that I kind of stumbled across here, because I've seen a lot of people this week talking again about, ah, Tedrick Thompson's too slow. He can't play free safety. He can't do this, that, and the other. I mean, these are clearly people who didn't watch him at Colorado, by the way, because at Colorado, he was a real playmaker. He was one of the few players um, before last year's draft that really jumped off the page for me. And we wrote a lot about Tedrick Thompson, talked a lot about Tedrick Thompson. I really liked Tedrick because of his playmaking ability. And it was a surprise that he ran a 4-6-0 because of the range that he showed from free safety and the number of interceptions that he made. He was a playmaker. He got around the field, so it was surprising that he didn't run faster. But he ran a 4-6-0. And then you actually look at a situation. Look at Dan Quinn's two safeties in Atlanta. Um, so Dan Quinn, who's come you know, from a Pete Carroll protege, has, has been using two safeties, Ricardo Allen and Keanu Neal, who ran a 4-6-1 and a 4-6-2. So they actually ran, you know, fractionally slower times than Tedrick Thompson. No one ever highlights the lack of speed in Atlanta's secondary or their defensive backfield. No one ever talks about that. You never hear anybody going, Keanu Neal's too, too slow or Ricardo Allen's too slow. But they're as quick as Tedrick Thompson. So it, it goes to show that even though the Seahawks may not necessarily have Earl Thomas, they don't need a 4-3 or 4-4 runner to put competent safety play on the field. You just have to put tweak the scheme slightly so that you're not just leaving one guy in a load of space asking him to cover one third of the field. It's just that that's, that's not going to happen when old Thomas isn't there. You perhaps have two deep safeties. You, you minimise the number of, of the amount of space that they're having to cover. It's quite simple. And I think Tedrick Thompson is, is enough of a playmaker that even if you do give him just a smaller amount of the field to, to, to cover it, he will make plays for Seattle. I think there's a decent chance of that. And I think if you do put him in, in maybe a two deep look, and, and not put too many demands on him in terms of his speed, then he can have success. And I'm actually quite interested to see how he gets on in preseason this year and to see if he's taken a step forward from last year. And I don't think speed's a big issue. And just another quick word on, on speed. So Keanu Neal's a 4-6-2. Ricardo Allen's a 4-6-1. Harrison Smith, who many people will say is the best safety in the, in the NFL, or at least the second best safety after Earl Thomas, ran a 4-5-7. So he's only just quicker than Tedrick Thompson. And Jamal Adams, who went in the top 10, was a 4-5-6 runner. So none of these players are, are that much fas faster than Tedrick Thompson. So I think it's a bit of a, a red herring to talk about speed at safety. Yeah, and uh, we are doing our best to talk about uh, one week of training camp and uh, knowing that this is so exciting because we do have stuff to talk about in terms of players on the field. Um, unfortunately, most of the news it feels like that comes out that's worth something is bad news, uh, like Deion Jordan, like Doug Baldwin, um, and just trying to figure out when those guys can come back and be a part of uh, practices and, and games and, and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, we are finding things out. You know, we are mixing it up in terms of maybe having an understanding that, you know, Maybe Marcus Johnson can take this opportunity to make the team and, uh, you know, become a receiver and not just a special teams player. Um, and maybe, you know, one of the defensive ends or defensive linemen or linebackers or cornerbacks can really step up uh, or safeties. And, you know, the next time we do this podcast, it should be uh, one day before their first preseason game, which is next Thursday uh, against the Indianapolis Colts. I believe that's the August 9th against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, we will not see Andrew Luck in that game. I believe he is set to come back in week two of the preseason, um, but that's fine. It would have been maybe a little interesting, but certainly Andrew Luck would not throw very much in that game at all if he even did play in it. Um, and as Rob has already said, too much preseason, too much. 
Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, the, the NFL makes money, a lot of money on those preseason games. They sell out. People watch them on TV. That's how much people are invested in the NFL and how much they want to watch it. And so uh, that's where we stand in a week from now. It'll be uh, one week, uh, excuse me, one day before their first game against the Colts. And, you know, what, what we will learn in that first game against the Colts, uh, tough to say. You know, again, most of the big news that comes out of preseason games is injuries. And we don't know necessarily anything based on how Alex McGuff does, you know, in a half against the Indianapolis Colts second and third string defense. You know, it's just going to be we'll figure things out. But, Rob, uh, but, and before we wrap up the show this week, uh, we have one week of practice and training camp before our next podcast, which uh, will be leading into that game. Uh, what would you like to people to watch for what will what will you be watching for in terms of the positions the players the names um between now and next wednesday i think for me it's, it's to to keep an eye on, on, on how the seahawks approach the defensive line more than anything you know is anybody making a push there is there any news on i mean it's been pretty quiet on the defensive line i've not heard much about whether puna ford's having a good time there's been a little bit of focus on Rashim green recently and, and, and he's had a decent start by the sounds of things but who is who is taking a real step forward is what I've been looking at. And is there any update on Dion Jordan's situation? And is anybody going to come in that they're going to look to sign? Is there a veteran out there that they could bring in? Is there a deal that they could make to bring somebody in to provide a bit of extra competition there? I think for me, Kenny, you know, I think the, the, the secondary situation will play its way out. You know, if they sign Dominic Rogers Cromartie, they, they often do bring in a veteran cornerback and give him an opportunity. I mean, it was Brock last year, wasn't it? Uh, Winfield in the past, they, they do bring in like a veteran corner every now and again and have a look at him. So that that could be another option there. I, I don't worry about the secondary. I know that that this team is is very good at putting secondary players together and, and putting a functioning secondary. I like the linebackers. I think the offense is is fine. I don't have too many issues there. I think what will determine whether or not the Seahawks can have you know kind of a, an average or decent season or a really good season is. How are you going to generate your pass rush? And I think that's going to be the key thing for me is, is to hear hearing good reports on the defensive line. Is anybody else going to come in and, and add to the numbers there? That is the big thing that I'm going to be focusing on this week and pretty much every week until the end of the preseason. I think this is going to be the year of the defensive line for the Seahawks. Either someone is really going to emerge and it's going to be very exciting and it's going to solve a few issues there or we're going to be talking about the lack of pass rush most weeks after the games. We're going to be talking about a lot of college pass rushers inside and out um, that potentially could be drafting, and we're going to be spending a whole draft season talking about who are the pass rushers the Seahawks could be interested in. Absolutely, and uh, that's what you can expect next week when it'll be August the 8th, 2018, uh, although you may be listening to it on Thursday the 9th. 2018, the day of the Seattle Seahawks' first preseason game of 2018. Uh, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes at by finding Seaside Chats with Kenneth Arthur. Uh, even though this show is called 3000 NFL Mock Drafts, it's not at all confusing. I write for Field Goals and Rob writes for Seahawks Draft Blog, and we come together for this podcast once a week. It's 3000 NFL Mock Draft. Uh, you can follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Staten and me at Field Goals, and you already know that you're probably a regular listener to the show. Tell a friend the games are coming. The season is right around the bend. You can trust, you guys can trust this show to be there for you. Talking about the Seahawks. Um, and I'm sure one of these days we may even talk about the 2019 NFL draft. We're still there sometimes, obviously, talking about draft stuff. Are we going to talk about Urban Meyer? Who knows? Probably not. Not today for sure, because I'm wrapping up the show. Uh, but this has been 3000 NFL Mock Draft. 
a Seahawks podcast. You know what? Come back next week. 